Alright, so we have the Element Family Christmas tree in the back. And like five of you have put ornaments on the thing, okay? Back in the lounge, bring, bring your sentimental, ugly ornament from home. Stick it on the tree so it becomes the Element Family tree that's ugly, okay? Let me tell you, it can, it can be cool. Yeah, whatever, whatever, that's ours. Thank you. Now, Christmas for Kids is this thing, thing that we're doing at Element. Christmas for Kids, we help out families who fall through the cracks. Uh, there, are, there are families out there having a hard time because of the economic times that are, that are out there. And so th- sometimes if you made too much in the last year, you don't qualify for gov- government assistance. Uh, and, and so a lot of people fall through that little crack. They don't make a little enough to actually qualify, and they make too much to qualify. And so they just kind of fall right in the middle. We are trying to help those families in there. Okay, so what we're asking for you at this point, we have like 40 volunteers helping out at our Christmas for Kids event. And so what we need from you, number one, is do you know any families that are falling through that crack right there? That maybe, you know, they've lost some jobs and, and they can't qualify for a whole lot of stuff. And they need to get their kids like some shoes and some pants or shirts, something for Christmas. Uh, let, come and let me know that when we are done tonight so that, so that I can maybe get in touch with them and, and help get their kids some stuff because we want to touch and, and help those people. And the second thing we need from you is uh, money <laughs> for the program. And so if you want to donate something to that, there is a, a box in the back. It's like a big Christmas present. And you just throw some money in there. All the money that goes in that will go to this Christmas for kids. It will go to help uh, these families and kids that, that really need it. All right. So I want to tell you about our softball season that just ended on Monday. Coolest thing in the world. We, uh, <laughs> we played our softball game on Monday night. And we played our first one, and we won, which we, we kind of figured we would. And we played our second one. And there is this team, literally, they killed everybody all season, had not lost yet. First time we played them, we lost like 25 to, what, 5, 6? Something just terrible. We're like, I mean, we just got schooled, and we're like, oh, my goodness. This, they're good. We're terrible. You know? And the second time we played them, we, we lost 17-16, but that's only because uh, time had run out in the game, and they were up to bat, so it might have been worse than that. And so we, we go and we, and we play them on last Monday night, and we actually, what was the score? 14 to 6. Bam! Now, uh, Britt is our coach, so I want Britt to come up here real quick. And uh, I, I usually, when we do this, I, I do these strut dance, and I am going to allow Britt to do the strut dance this morning. So go ahead, hit the slide. of the world. I know it's self-indulgent. Oh, oh. So this is what they gave us as the trophy. Yeah. So, so Kim and her mom goes, that's just not right. So they made us a trophy. All right, enough fun. Now I'm going to yell at you for an hour. Why don't you guys stand me reading the God's Word? Uh, this is First Chronicles 29:14, and it says this: "But who am I, and who are my people, that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand." Let's pray, Father. This morning, I do ask that we are a people who understand that everything comes from you. 
that we would trust you for our lives, uh, and in our lives we would trust you with every part of them. God, we thank you for being a good God, and we realize this morning that things only come from your hand. Amen. Have a seat. All right, we are continuing our study called Stuff, uh, the least popular subject ever in the history of the Christian church. If you knew this morning, <laughs> great. That's um, how this works. We were talking about money. Uh, one of my friends, I was talking to this week, and he goes, hey, he doesn't go here. He works actually somewhere else. And he goes, I, I hear you're doing, like, right before Christmas, a six-week series on money. And he goes, that's just crazy. And I go, I know. It's my never-ending quest to, like, kill the attendance and element. That's, that's what I'm In the first week, we talked about how everything is God's. The second week, we talked about work and how God works hard and God works well, and he intends for you and I to also work hard and well. Third week, we talked about saving and investing because all of these things go together. And if we're going to talk about money, you have to talk about everything in Scripture, not just about give, give, give to your church, but all these things that God also says as well, saving and investing and work and how that goes together. Now, today, I'm actually going to do something a little bit different than I normally do. When I talk about stuff and money, I usually get a few questions from people, and I'm going to answer some of those questions this morning for you. Next week, we're going to do a really fun historical look at stuff in the time of Jesus, and the week after that, we'll look at another historical thing from the early church and how they actually viewed stuff. But today, we're going to start in Proverbs chapter 3, so if your Bible, turn to Proverbs chapter 3, then we'll continue on the rest of Scripture. Proverbs 3, verse 9. Proverbs 3, verse 9 starts like this. It says, Honor the Lord with your wealth. So it starts off by letting you know that God has not left us without instruction in regard to our money and our stuff. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits, that means the best portion of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. Now, Christmas, again, I tell you this, is, is this is the time of giving and how this works. Most people this year will spend $1,000 on Christmas, so it's very good to look at the subject during this time and realize what God has given to us. I told you this three weeks ago that I, I need to give you an apology because 10% of Scripture, 25% of Jesus' words deal with money, and I have reacted to very poor teaching about money by many churches by never talking about the subject at all. As much as you hate hearing about it, I hate talking about it. And I haven't really said anything in Element for the first year and a half that we've been here. Uh, If you go to the Gospel class, you get one week. In the Gospel of John, you got one week about it. If you've been to the Gospel class, this will actually echo some of what's in there. At Element, we even put offering boxes on the side walls in the back. We don't even pass a plate. Because what we want is we want God to speak to you, and God is the one that compels you to give. It's not a, a basket that's placed in front of you. But what's really funny is that apparently many times God doesn't compel that many people to give. <laughs> and so it makes our budget a nightmare. Uh, some, sometimes people also, they don't know what the scriptures actually say. And how are you supposed to know that if I don't teach you? That's part of my job. And so, like I said the first week, if you forget everything else, remember this one thing, that everything belongs to God. We live in this mythical world where uh, our car, our, our pink slip to our car has our name on it. Our, our deed to our home has our name on it. Or the banks you know, has, has that name on it. Uh, we, live in, we live in a house where the mail comes to our house with our name. And we have this propensity to start to think that the things that we have actually belong to us. In Exodus 19.5, God says, the whole earth is mine. That is not a general sense. That is, God says, everything is mine. I mean, you may say, well, God thinks everything is his. That's terrible. 
Yes, he does think everything is his because it is. My stuff, your stuff, it's all God's. Job 41.11, God says, Who has claimed against me that I must pay? Everything under heaven belongs to me. Psalm 50, verse 10, says, For every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. And you may go, Well, I've counted off a thousand hills. I live on hill 1001. That's how that works. So God can have that. This is mine. No, it's a metaphorical way of saying that everything belongs to God, period. Period. Everything else is just illusion. You know, you may drive a Volvo and you say, this is my Volvo. No, it's God's Volvo or a BMW. This is God. You know, no, it's God's BMW. This is my Honda. No, it's God's Honda. You may say, I don't even own a car. You know, I walk around in my shoes. Great. They're God's shoes. Okay, that's, that's just how that works. Haggai 2.8, God says, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. You may say, I got money in my pocket. No, it's God's pocket and God's money in that pocket. Uh, Deuteronomy 8.17 says, You may say to yourself, My power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And so the fact that we have hands or, or a mind to be able to do a job is simply a gift from God. God gives us our skill. And we can't look at God and say, This is mine. I have earned it. And if we begin to reorient our lives to this sort of thinking, then you don't, the Scripture doesn't seem so bizarre when it actually talks about money. I walked up to you, and I gave you $50,000. Okay, you'd be like, okay, I'll take it. That's great. I, I like this scenario. This is a good one. Okay, I give you $50,000, but with a stipulation, I want you to give like 5000 of that to these charitable organizations over here. You wouldn't feel ripped off because you would think, I just made $45,000. But if you have $50,000 in your hands and someone comes up and they take 5000 from you, you feel like you're being ripped off because it's an issue of ownership. It's an issue of ownership. If you feel like everything is yours, you will always struggle with the idea of being able to give. Now, you will think, this is mine. It's got my name on it. But no, it is God's. And you say, well, if it's God's, God can pay the bills, and then I will just take whatever's left over because that's mine. No, we are trustees. We are distributors of God's wealth. And if you close your hands so you think God can't get a hold of it, can God still get a hold of it? Yes. Yes, he can. We're to have an open-handed posture. God puts in, we distribute. If you close your hands, you only get a headache. That, that's how that works. So here are the questions that I normally get when it comes to giving. The first one is this. Why does God give us wealth and stuff anyway? Why does he even do this? The first one, the first answer to this question is to enjoy it. Okay? Hear that this morning, to enjoy it. Ecclesiastes 5.19 says, Moreover, when God gives any man wealth and possessions and enables him to enjoy them, to accept his lot in life and be happy in his work, this is a gift of God. One of the reasons God gives you money is so you can enjoy it. Yay! Okay? Is it a sin to have fun with your money? Not at all. I sleep in a nice bed. It's very comfortable. My shoes fit in my feet. The heater works most of the time. You know, I, my wife and I, we, we, we own a boat, you know, and, and it's great. You know, I, I, you, I know you can't tell, but I love food. Okay, I really do. I think food is like up there. Pleasure is not evil. Many Old Testament books will teach you that pleasure comes from the right hand of God. It is what we do with that pleasure that can lead us into problems. Enjoying your life is not a sin. It could turn into it when you close your hand and you run around like this, when your pleasure all becomes just about you. And so we thank God for what he has given us and take joy in what he has made because God has gone through great lengths to enable us to enjoy his creation. And the second reason God gives us wealth and stuff is to be generous and share it. 
this is the first verse that I read you, First Chronicles 29.14, that you, know, you give generously because God has given so much to us. First Corinthians 4.7 says, For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? So some stuff we are to enjoy and some we put in the hands of others. The poor, the hungry, Christians in other nations, the work of the local church, so other people come to know who Christ is. We are receivers. God gives to us and then we are to distribute. God has entrusted his stuff to you and so you distribute it. Now, here are some more common questions that I get when I talk about that. They okay, so, so tell me this. Uh, actually, this happened in the last couple of weeks. Someone said, okay, so what are tithes and offerings? What, is, what does that even mean? Uh, the word tithe actually means a tenth. It's a portion. In the Old Testament, they would come and they give a portion of their income to the priest so that the priest could survive. And people go, okay, a tenth. The Old Testament tithe, tithe was a tenth. Actually, it's closer to three times that. The way the tithe worked in the Old Testament was like this. Ten percent went to the priesthood. That would be like the pastors, you know, to, to pay them for their work in ministry so they could, you know, instruct people, do the work of the temple, but also put food on the table for their family and stuff like that. Ten percent more went to a treasury, and this treasury held this money to pay for festivals and community building events and parties. Now, can you imagine if we kicked in 10% of our income for parties? It'd be a good party. I, in Isaiah, the kingdom of God is tied to celebration and feasting, and this all comes together to worship a big God with a big party. And you can't do that with animal crackers and water and coffee, because I don't like coffee. You know, One of the knocks on Jesus was that Jesus went to parties and he had a good time. It's not that he's off in the corner going, woo with the lampshade on his head or something like that, okay? But he loved parties. Some people don't know how to party in a good way. And so what God says is he says, you know what? Give me your money and I will show you how to throw a good party. Choice wine, good meat, good friends, all worshiping a good God together. Now, some people have a problem when, when a church spends some money on having a party. I will tell you, it is biblical to do those things. We probably don't party enough for God's taste, personally. And so we should repent and we should have more. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> so 10% go to huge celebrations that honor God. Everyone, rich, poor, every race, all walks of life are all invited. 3.3% uh, on top of that then goes to the poor. That's 10% every three years goes to the poor. You also had farmers, and they would leave what's called gleanings in the field, and they would harvest to the edge of their fields, and they would allow the poor and the needy to come and actually harvest some food to take that so they could eat. They didn't get a check. They didn't, oh, here, just, they would actually go and they'd actually have to work and get it and harvest it themselves. On top of that, you had special offerings and givings for like building of the wall in Jerusalem, the tabernacle, all building projects. Uh, the, the totals of this actually came out to be 27 to 30% plus sacrifice, plus gifts, plus if, you, if they were uh, underneath another government, plus taxes as well. Now today, many Christians are like, man, if I ever got to 10%, I'd be like varsity. Everybody else would be JV because I'm good. Uh, here's a statistic for you. George Barna says that while many Christian churches teach the concept of tithing of one income to the church, relatively few people follow the practice. 17% of people who attend any type of church whatsoever, okay, not just a Christian church, but any type of church, claim to tithe. And he says when they checked with household income, only 6% actually did. 32% of people who claim to be born-again Christians said they tithe when actually 12% did. So there's lots of Christians, and not only are they not giving, they're lying about it as well. <laughs> I think is pretty funny. Now, is, is it a law? Do you have to tithe? No, no. You know, in the Old Testament, you know what happened if you didn't tithe? Nothing. 
Nothing. You don't go to jail. You don't chop off your limbs. You know, it's not a law in that sense. But are there consequences for not giving? I, I think so. There are spiritual consequences. Because not only does it mean you're taking all the things that God has given to you and He tends for you to distribute, but you're also becoming very self-centered. You're looking only at yourself. Again, we, we must look at it as if you know God's coming to you and says, here's 50 grand. Just give five to this thing over here. You get to keep 45. You never feel ripped off that way. If I came to you and I was going on vacation, I said, here's $1,000. Pay my house payment while I'm gone. And you go, okay. And instead you go down and buy Slurpees and lotto tickets and you, and you keep whatever's left over after you buy all your Slurpees and lotto tickets. You know, would you be stealing from me? Yes, yes, you, you would be. And that is what God says. He goes, I gave you money and you kept it all. God has placed something in our hands. And if we hold on to it and do not trust him, we are displaying a lack of faith. It is not a money issue. It is a faith issue. I think it's very important for kids to get this very young. This is why we pray before meals so, so people in our family, we remember and our kids understand that what we have in front of us is a gift from God. I think it's very important for parents to pray for their children in front of them, okay, in front of them so the kids understand that they are a gift from God. God does not bless his children so that we consume it all, but so that we would distribute these things. Our perspective needs to change because true worship participates with God in, in ministry. And I told you this before. Element sets aside 10% of everything you guys give for church planning and world relief. And three weeks ago, I told you all the places that we give to you. If you weren't here and you, wanted to, and you want to hear that, come and talk to me. I'll tell you all the places that we give to you. Uh, the second question I get after somebody asks, what are tithes? The second question is, do I have to tithe? <laughs> Okay, that's, my, that's the second question I normally get. Uh, the answer, no, no, you, you don't have to. Uh, the New Testament, we'd actually call this giving. I, I honestly think 10% is a very good goal for most people to aspire to. Uh, what God, though, calls us in the New Testament to is generous, sacrificial, joyful, and consistent giving. And people will say, well, we live in a country with very high taxes. They didn't pay taxes back then, did they? And my answer is always, do you think there's any government in the history of the world who has not thought of the idea of taxes? <laughs> yeah, that's how it works. Um, when Rome and Babylon and Persia all rolled over the Jews, they paid a heavy tax burden. You know, with, with, when Jesus walked between tithes and taxes, there was between 40 to 80% of your income that you'd be paying. Uh, when Peter, Paul, and John write to the people in the churches, they write to and encourage them to give, these people are actually under a very heavy tax burden. You know, did Jesus pay taxes? Yes, yes. I mean, he's unemployed and he's God. Okay? And, and if he has to pay taxes, don't think you're getting off the hook. You know? You know? Uh, our government, I think, is a reflection of the heart of the people. Uh, and when people expect the government to take care of everything and everyone for every little thing, it can become an issue. We should not complain about the government. We should, we should be about, about the work of the gospel because when the gospel changes people's hearts, then the government will begin to change. So you pay your taxes and you give. Uh, I personally use the word give. Uh, there's some, a lot of people today who will use the word tithe and giving interchangeably, not actually holding to this Old Testament concept of the tithe, but I just like to use the word give. Tithing is not mandatory, but I think it's a good practice to start at. Uh, the third question I get then is, okay, do I, so do I have to tithe? So I talk about that. Okay, so I got to give. So how is money then related to worship? How is money related to worship? Uh, worship today in, in America, it becomes my own personal thing. It's my, it's my feelings. It's my encounter with God. And, and this is an unbiblical view because in Scripture, worship was demonstrative. It was demonstrative. It was quantifiable. People could see your worship. It was sacrifice. That's the whole point of the temple is that worship was sacrifice. Open the book of Deuteronomy. It's in the Torah. First five books of the Bible. Deuteronomy 16. 
Deuteronomy 16, 16. It goes like this. Three times a year, all your men must appear before the Lord your God at the place he will choose, at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Tabernacles. No man should appear before the Lord empty-handed. And so what you see is that worship is coming with hands full to give to God's purposes. You know, in the, in the Old Testament, you see many times God gets upset because they're bringing him gifts that were lame or sickly or old. And God says, I don't want the last and the least and the worst. I am your God. I want the first and the best. You give a sacrifice to your God. You know, it's, it's no sacrifice for, to, to give the, the three-legged goat with five others and ten eyeballs that's sickly because it was raised next to the nuclear power plant because no one's going to buy that anyway. But yet that's what they become and they be given that to God. In the New Testament, in Philippians 4.18, Paul says this, I have received full payment and even more. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Paphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering and an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. So in the Old Testament, you know, this, this sacrifice, it was grains or animals. In the New Testament, this sacrifice, because it's in a monetary system, becomes money. Money equals sacrifice. George Barnes uh, does a uh, study and he shows that 16% of born-again Christian members of churches gave no money to their church in the last year. 16%. Now, is it possible to go to church for an entire year, not give anything, and still be worshiping God? Biblically, actually, that is not possible. It is not possible. See, but I was raising my hands. I was singing these songs. I had these emotions. Right. But all your sacrifice goes to yourself. You know, that's idolatry. Your time, your money, it's all about you. You can come and sing songs for, for half an hour, 52 times a year, but if you aren't giving, you're not worshiping because it's not biblical worship. Uh, some people say, you know, oh, I, I, you know, I like these things or didn't like these things, and they make a whole bunch of judgments in different parts during a service. You know, and, and, and then they leave and they're upset about this or that because the object of worship is them because they want these things to please who they are. You know, worship, though, is giving every part of all of our lives to God. It's why at the end of every service I talk about communion and prayer and uh, fellowship in the back and giving and song. We do all these things because they're all part of worship, all of it. Who is supposed to be the object of our worship? God. God is supposed to be the object of our worship. You're not here to be glorified. God is. If you're here to be glorified, that's literally the oldest lie in the book. <laughs> literally, you know, we all want to be God. And if you're not reading and loving and giving and doing God's work in the world, you know, then we're not truly worshiping as God calls us to worship. Everything belongs to God. You belong to God. Romans 1, 6 says, and you also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Christianity means you belong to God, period. Everyone worships, everyone and we will sacrifice to the God that we consider the most important. You know, you may say, well, I don't have any money, money at all. You know, well, we do for our gods. You know, maybe you don't give to any charitable work anywhere in the world. But we will find money for our gods. You know, if you can't find 20 bucks to, to give to somebody, but you'll go out and you can buy a new DVD, a new CD, a new T-shirt, uh, a magazine subscription. Uh, I don't play golf, but, you know, some, oh, I can't have any money, but you can afford a new golf club uh, for a softball, a softball bat. Okay, softball fans, you know, you know like that. Because it's their God. And people will sacrifice for their God. The question is not Christianity or atheism. It is what God we serve. Now, can you go to a concert? And can you have a nice TV and a nice home and a nice car and a nice meal? Of course you can. Of course you can. And by enjoying those things, it is also an act of worship, so you enjoy it. But the question on the other side is, do you share as well? Things themselves are not good or bad. It's whether it is used for worship or idolatry. That's the question. Food can honor God or it can become gluttony. Sex within marriage can be worship God or it can be idolatry when we do it in a way that dishonors God. Question, the next question I get. 
Yes. Okay, so should people who make more money give a higher percentage? <laughs> no. Uh, there's, there's, I'm sure there's a lot of pastors would be like, yes, they should. No. Th- this whole idea comes out of class warfare. Stick it to the rich, as if the rich are evil and, and we're not. You know? I tell you this you know, almost every single week, that the issue is not rich versus poor. The issue is righteous versus unrighteous. Some rich people are crooks, but I will tell you this. Every time that somebody stole my credit card number or stole my stereo or broke into my car, it was not the rich guy. It was not the doctor or the lawyer. It was the unrighteous poor guy breaking into my car. Okay, the issue is not righteous versus unrighteous. It's not about poverty and wealth. It is righteous versus unrighteous. That's, that is the issue. Now, if someone is wise and they handle their money well and they have more money, will they typically give more? Sure, because they make more. First Corinthians, uh, Corinthians 16.1 says this, Now about the collection for God's people. Do what I told the Galatian churches on the first day of the week, which is Sunday. Uh, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. There are people that I actually pray would get a boatload of money because they know how to distribute it well. And if God owns all the gold and the world and all the cattle on a thousand hills, I want it to go through people's hands who will be generous with it. Uh, I know some people who have a lot of money and they're rich and they continue to work because they believe the more they make, the more they can actually give. And that's a great perspective to have. The, the Bible never tells you that the holiest people on the planet live in monasteries and renounce, renounce all worldly wealth and sleep on the floor and never get married and have sex. Um, it's actually the exact opposite. Scripture tells you that when a man and a woman love each other and they have children and they, and they give to the poor and they give their lives to the work of ministry and their lives to the church, that's a lasting legacy and that is a very godly thing to do. So you should all go be doctors, okay? help those who need it, make a lot of money. Maybe one day you'd be able to be in a place where you can actually give away 90% to all kinds of different things and live on 10. That would be amazing. But statistically speaking, the statistics bear out that the more a person actually makes, the less likely they are actually uh, going to give. The more you make, the less that you give. Why? Because isn't it easier to give more money when you have more money? No. If you work at McDonald's and you make 50 bucks, it's really easy to give five. Okay? It's really easy to give five away. But say now you're making maybe $5,000. It's a lot harder to write a check for 500 than five bucks. Uh, you know, uh, Jesus says in Luke 16.10, Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. And I don't think that we can be dishonest with the stuff that God has given us and always expect Him to pick up the tab. Eventually, God will bring consequences into our lives so He teaches us how to learn to live on a budget and how to be generous people. Uh, you, you may think, you know, I need a better car, a better house, a better vacation. And maybe you do. I'm not saying you don't, okay? I've seen some of your cars. You probably do, okay? <laughs> but, but as our desires get bigger and bigger and bigger, it gets harder and harder to give. My wife and I, when we were married the first two years, um, and giving was this whole thing that God's working on my heart. And, and we didn't give very much, and I didn't know how, and it, it's very tough. And then we actually started to give. And if we started to give, it got a little harder, but it actually felt a lot better. Uh, when we started to give, it's like we had to cut certain things out of our lives. Uh, we lived in this town, and, and down the street there's this theater called the Flicker Shack. And, and the Flicker Shack got movies, like, say it was in the movie theater, and then like two months after it left the real movie theater, it would go to the Flicker Shack. And so we would always go see movies. It's like coming out on DVD and showing at the Flicker Shack, okay? So, so, you know, we would go to this place called the Flicker Shack, and it was like, it was like a buck or two for a movie because I'm a big spender. You know, I'd sneak in my candy and my, and my water and my soda. If I was really feeling good, I'd buy, you know, some popcorn. 
for a buck or two. But you know, that's when you start to give. I understand it is very, very, very hard the first time. When when my wife and I actually bought our house, I had people say, "Well, why are you looking at this? You can afford this. You should move into something like this." And I go, "No, I don't make that. God gives me what I make, and I give to God first. So that means this is what I actually make." It is so hard to do at first. In 2 Corinthians 8, you know that Paul actually calls money grace? He says this, And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given to the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, and they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And their, their position in this church is poor, dire circumstances, but they realize that the sovereign God of the universe is asking them to participate in ministry. So for some of you, I mean, 5% may be a huge deal for you. Some of you, 10% may not be a big deal at all. Some of you, it's easy. And I am never a person who would stand up here and give you a percentage. This is what you must give because I'm not a legalist, and I don't believe the New Testament teaches that. And if I did give you a percentage, what people would do is they would get to that percentage, and then they'd feel very holy and righteous and very prideful because they got there. Giving is to be joyful, sacrificial, consistent, and generous. It is all investment in church, kids, home, life, the work of the gospel. And then so I usually get the very very practical question. What do I do if I can't afford to give? My first question when people ask me this, I usually say, you know, why? If it's because you're elderly, a single mom whose husband's walked out, you had a catastrophic accident, we might have to help you because we're a family and we do those things so maybe we might have to help you so don't feel guilty if that's the case let us know uh, you know others of you maybe sacrificial is like 50 cents some college kids it's like five bucks well they say it's five bucks but then they go out to eat every single meal it's like I only got five bucks I'm like yeah that's how that works you know but if you can't afford to give because you know you're sinful and can't live on a budget well then that's an issue you know you blow your money on everything else First fruits in scripture. First fruits means first to the Lord. It's not, oh, I was going to give, but I didn't have anything left. We call this leftovers. You know, in the book of Malachi, God has these very hard words for certain people. The prophet is lamenting because people are giving all their best stuff to themselves and their governors and their rulers and all these important people. And they're giving God their lame, ten-eyed, nuclear power plant goats. Okay? And so what happens is, he says, you know, just stop bringing anything. Shut the gates. Don't bring anything in. This is just terrible. Because the problem with leftovers is there's usually not much left over. After the seventh pair of brown shoes and the tenth pair of concert tickets and the cable, there's not much left over. You get paid on Friday, you get cash from the bank, you blow up by Tuesday, you bum money from your, your friends for gas for two days and you pay them back on Friday. That's not a budget. You go to the ATM and it says you got some money and you take it out. That's not a budget. That's not a budget. Trying to outlive your creditors is not a budget. Okay, It's not a budget. Scripture talks about planning and wisdom and work and giving first to the Lord because giving first to God forces us to be a people who learn how to live on a budget which God calls us to. Uh, the next question I get is typically this. So should non-Christians give? Uh, answer, no. Actually, you don't have to. You don't have to. Uh, some non-Christians do because they enjoy some of the stuff that Element actually does in the world. But God is first concerned about your soul. He is first concerned about your soul. Then once you belong to him, you realize everything belongs to him, and he will teach you how to give. You know, just giving to God to try and buy his favor does not work. Uh, Best metaphor I have for this is you are a trailer park, and God is a hurricane, and money is not going to buy that off when that hurricane comes 
for you. It doesn't let you off the hook for your sin. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8, 5, And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So you give yourself first to God, first to Him, and then your money. Uh, I'll give my last two questions that I get, uh, and these are very practical. People say, well, can I get a tax deduction for giving? Yes, you can. You can. If you give in a way that we can record, like a check or online, or uh, if you're going to give cash, put in an envelope with your name on it, okay, so we can keep track of that. I, I don't see it. I, I never see the money. You know, there's two important things for a pastor to know, and the first one is don't touch women inappropriately, and the second one is don't touch the money, okay? That's it. That's it. Those are the big problems in churches. Uh, you know, so if you can give in such a way that we can keep accurate totals of what you give, okay, we will then at the end of the year send you a, a thing that says, hey, here's what you gave. Claim it on your taxes, especially if you have kids and you own a house. Itemize and write it off. It's a beautiful write-off. It comes right off. It's wonderful. You should uh, do that. Uh, and the last question I get is, so then how can I give? Just, just like I said, uh, you know, cash. You can go online. 30% of our giving right now, I think, is online. Uh, put them in the offering boxes. But, you know, we're, we're, people still mail them in. We're a little afraid of that because of the anthrax. You know, we just don't want to catch that. But, you know, whatever. <laughs> you can, but you can even mail it in. We'll, we'll be cool with that. You, you, you can do that. And, and, and I don't want you to leave here this morning as, as we talk about this whole thing about stuff to think, oh, my goodness, he just wants my wallet. That's not what I'm talking about. I want you to give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. I think when you do that, our lives become a much more uh, lived on display of who Jesus Christ is in our lives. I think it becomes a beautiful thing when our lives are lived for God. So I will break this down for you. There is one God according to Scripture. He is not us. Okay, He is holy. He is different. He is something else. God created all things for His glory with an innate sense of beauty and possibility. All creation was created with the purpose of reflecting God's glory. And we have a responsibility to reflect Him with our lives told you this three weeks ago. The biggest problem in our world is not Muslims or terrorism. is that we love ourselves more than we love our God. And that is idolatry. And we give to ourselves more than we give to our God. And that is false worship. The last thing I want you to do is turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Because we are a people who all worship something. Even atheists worship something. Whether it's their mind or their intellect or themselves. The issue becomes the object of our worship. Where does your time and your money and your energy and your talent all go? Because we will all go without something and sacrifice something in our lives to afford and get something we really want. We will sacrifice for our God. But we must remember that everything belongs to the Lord and you belong to God. It is all His. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7 says this, Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Okay, That's why we put offering boxes on the side walls. For God loves a cheerful giver. The word cheerful means hilarious. It means ha ha. Okay. I would laugh more, but I'm afraid I'm going to start losing fluid. So, <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's hilarious. It's fun. So, cause, because if you come in and you realize, oh, you, I just got paid, and wow, look what God gave me, and you give out of that, you're like, well, I just made this. And you're so excited, and it's funny. You go, ha, ha, ha. I mean, God doesn't want you going to an offering box going, ah, that God taking my money. <laughs> he doesn't want to. It, 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 this is like Malachi. Just shut the gates, keep it. That's not what he wants. I want you to be happy and joyful when you give. Uh, God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. And that is what God wants, abounding in every good work. It's not just money, it is all things, but money is a great indicator of our hearts and where our God is. So, this morning, my encouragement for you as we come into Christmas is, you know, change your view of what God expects from you. 
you know, change your view of everything. Learn to trust God and become someone who is generous and joyful and sacrificial and consistent because that's what God is calling us to as his people. Every week, I bring you to this place of communion where we can reflect and understand what God has done for us. So as you take that cracker this morning, you break it and you dip it in the wine or the grape juice, remember that Christ sacrificed everything for us. And he was consistent and he was joyful. In the book of Hebrews, it says he did this with joy, even though it hurt. You know? And so this is joyful and sacrificial, consistent and generous of our God to give to us so that we can have salvation as well. If you take that crack and you dip it in the wine or the grape juice, it reminds us of his sacrifice for us. We'll worship God in communion. Uh, we'll worship God in song. The band will come up, and they will be playing some songs. And as they, and as they play these songs, they invite you to worship along with them, uh, to take maybe some moments before you take communion and say, God, you know, where am I not being consistent and generous? And where are the things in my life I need to realize that you are God of everything and you hold everything in your hands? And allow him to speak to you there. Uh, there will be some elders and deacons in the back. And if you need prayer and you want somebody to pray with you and you want to become a person like God calls us to be, go and pray with them. They'd love to pray with you. Uh, we're going to worship God uh, through a fellowship. In the back, when we're done, you can go grab some coffee and some, and some food and, and meet some other people and encourage each other. And again, like I say this all the time, if you are in a small group, ask your friends around you. you know, how, how are you doing with that? You know, don't talk to me about my wallet. Okay. You know, ask them, you know, how are you doing? Are, are you, you know, generous and consistent? And you know, where, where do you give things in your, in, in your life? Not just money, but of your time and your energy as well. Um, we will worship God. Uh, through giving. As I said, there's an offering box on the sidewall in the very back, and we give because giving is part of our worship to God. This morning, guys, I, uh, my thing as we go into Christmas, you will be uh, tempted to spend all kinds of money on all kinds of things out there. But remember, it is God who owns everything to begin with, and you are to be a good steward of the stuff he has given you. So, let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that we would be a people who are consistent, who are generous, who are sacrificial. God, a, a people who live like you lived and follow the example that you gave us. Father, we thank you that, that your spirit comes and will reside in us and raise us to new life so that we can be a people who live as you call us to live. God, it's so hard because our, our culture is, is so surrounded by so much of get, get, get that sometimes it's hard for us to, to fully understand how we are to give. And so this morning I ask that you would work on our hearts, change our hearts, make our hearts new so we would understand the worthiness of you and what you have done in our lives to save and redeem us so we would be a people who live as if you are the most worthy thing in our lives and live as if you are our God. Have us be those with a childlike faith who trust you beyond everything. Amen.